Old Testament first book. Story of Jacob. Genesis, the 32nd chapter. Looking forward to service tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, pastor will be preaching, expecting the Lord to talk to our hearts tonight. Looking forward to a great service. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Somebody say he limped. Jacob limped. I want to talk to you this morning, if the Lord will help me, about a different kind of walk. A different kind of walk. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the word of God that changes us. God, it guides us. It directs us. It feeds our soul. And I pray right now that you would do that. I'm asking in Jesus' name that your word would lead us, that there would be an anointing here that would not only inspire us, God, but it would convict us deeply enough to cause us to respond in faith to your word. Let the response be more than just a, an emotional response, but God, let it be a response of conviction response of decision, of turning to you, of converting if need be. God, a response that would change our lives, and I'm asking for that right now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated in the wonderful name of Jesus. The story of Jacob is uh, an amazing story. Probably second only to Joseph. It's my, I would say it's my favorite story in the book of Genesis. The story of Joseph is, is just in a whole nother level. But the story of Jacob is, is interesting. I think I identify probably more with Jacob than I do with Joseph. Uh, even though uh, I share a name with Joseph, Joseph seems like he's, a, uh, he's got a little bit more figured out than I do many times. Uh, Joseph, I don't know that I would have been as generous with those who stripped me out of a coat of many colors and threw me into a pit. Uh, Joseph demonstrates great forgiveness and great character. Jacob is a little more real life. I think, I think a lot of us probably will identify a little bit more with Jacob. Jacob is a man who from the, the very first time we really get introduced to him is filled with ambition. It's an ambition that, that actually exists even in his mother's womb, the Bible tells us that, that he grabs a hold of his brother's foot and literally tries to pull his twin brother back into the womb so Jacob can be born first. Jacob, this just symbolizes the ambition that defined this man Jacob. His ambition was, was so blinding, the ambition to become the firstborn, and with it all of the rights and the privileges of being the firstborn which meant a greater inheritance. It meant prestige. It meant leadership of the family. And so there was a lot that Jacob was hungry for, that he was ambitious about. He was so ambitious. He was so desiring this position in the father's house that he was willing to defraud his brother out of that position. He was willing to take advantage of his brother's weakness a moment of hunger in Esau's life, Jacob prayed upon that moment. I don't think it was an accident that Esau came in from the field very hungry and Jacob was positioned right there 
with a bowl of beans. Jacob probably had waited for his brother to return. Perhaps, and I'm speculating, had even set a trap for his brother. Jacob was a a very cunning, a very planning individual. He defrauds his brother out of his birthright. Esau is starving and says, brother, I'd like some food. I'd like some beans. And Jacob says, no problem. I'll gladly share with you what I have on one condition You sell to me your birthright. Esau is in a moment of extreme physical weakness and probably even uh, a little bit carnal. He doesn't appreciate what he has. He's taken a lot of things for granted. And so in that moment, his appetite, and you've all been there. Has anybody ever had an appetite that just causes you to do something? You order that food. And then as soon as you eat it, I did this the other day. I was at an event, and there was a, I'd already eaten dinner, but there was a big table set up with these beautiful hot dogs. They were on that rotisserie thing, and there were gourmet buns, if there is such a thing as gourmet buns, and all the toppings, and I just thought to myself, i got to have one of those. I'm at a sports event. You're supposed to have hot dogs when you're at a sports event, and I'm like, give me one of those. And as soon as I put the last tip of that bun in my mouth, Man, I don't, I don't feel so good. The appetite got the best of me. And that's what happened to Esau. The appetite got the best of him. And probably as soon as he finished eating that bowl of beans, regret began to set in. And the Bible says that he hated his birthright. Jacob goes on, not only does he defraud his brother, he's filled with ambition. He eventually lies to his dad. He deceives his own father to secure the blessing. Goes to great extent, disguises himself, fixes soup. His dad is blind, and so he goes in and pretends to be his brother and tricks his dad out of this pronouncement of the blessing. Jacob is then estranged from his family. He has tension in his family because of the way he's treated them or he perceives that they have treated him. One of his brothers, or Esau, his brother, decides he wants to kill him. And so Jacob runs from his family. See, this sounds more and more like my story all the time. Jacob runs from his family. There's this this brokenness in his life. He's got ambition. He's his own worst enemy, but he has other enemies who are out to get him. He's got this complicated family situation going on. And then he meets God at a place called Bethel. And God offers a covenant to Jacob. I want to make you a covenant. I want to make your descendants as the sand of the sea, the stars of the sky. I want to make you in the same covenant. I want to put you in the same covenant with your father Isaac and with your grandfather Abraham. And you know what Jacob says to God? Lord, I'm going to put you on trial. You'll you'll read it. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, Lord, if you'll take care of me and you will feed me and you will clothe me and you will protect me, then you will be my God. Jacob's a scammer. I mean, he is filled with game, isn't he? He's always trying to get something out of somebody. And so God lets him go, and he runs from God. He calls that encounter with God a terrible place. It's going to mess up my life. And he runs from God, and for 21 years he encounters hardship. 
He is deceived. He is abused. Laban, his father-in-law, takes advantage of him. He winds up marrying two women. Um, he winds up having kids. He winds up getting cheated. It's just, who needs TV? I mean, this is, this is good stuff. All this stuff happens. For 21 years, his life is a royal mess. And Jacob is living as far from the call of God on his life as he possibly could be. He is, in fact, living in the very place that God had called Abraham out of. And the very place that Abraham would not let Isaac go to. When Isaac needed a wife, the servant said, let me take Isaac down to Haran, which is by definition a dry place, and look for a wife. And Abraham said, no, you go down there and look for a wife, but don't you take my son to Haran. God called us out of there. We're not going to go back. Jacob has now violated everything that his father and grandfather stood for and gone back to this place of Haran, is living there 21 years, terrible. And then on the wind comes a voice. In chapter 31 of Genesis, the words echo in Jacob's heart. I am the God of Bethel. After 21 years, God speaks to Jacob. And God says, Jacob, why don't you come back to Bethel? Come back to the land of your family. And so Jacob gathers everything up, makes some decisions, and he leaves. And on his way there, and I'm giving you the, the, the Cliff Notes version, on his way there, he stops at a place that we will later know as Peniel. And it is there that Jacob has the definitive encounter with God of his life. It is there in the middle of the night, left alone, that a man jumps from the darkness and begins to wrestle with Jacob. And they wrestle all night long. And the man finally says to Jacob, let me go. And Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And I think it was a different request. I think Jacob was looking for something more than just getting something now. The man says to Jacob, what is your name? And he says, I'm Jacob, which means deceiver, crafty one, supplanter. I'm Jacob. And the man says, from this day on, you will never be Jacob again, but you're going to be Israel, for you have power with God and men. And right before that encounter, Jacob had been wrestling with this man, and this man reached down and touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And he put his hip out of joint. Now, I remember when I was a youth pastor, one of our students played, played football, and his, his hip was dislocated, and it was an incredibly painful injury. And you can just imagine having his hip dislocated so that Jacob is now, he's not able to really stand. He's just clinging to this man that is wrestling with him. And he says, bless me. And this man looks down at Jacob and says, you're no longer Jacob, but now you're Israel. Even though you're kind of crooked, and you're kind of limp, you now have power with God and with men. And the Bible says that Jacob, Jacob said, wait a minute, this is not just a man that I'm wrestling with. He names the place Peniel, which means I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Jacob had a collision with the God of Abraham and Isaac. 
And when Jacob walked away from that collision, Jacob didn't walk the same way he used to walk. From that point on, the Bible says that Jacob halted or he limped upon his thigh. The rest of his life, Jacob would walk with a limp. Jacob, the man who was so strong, so capable, so quick-witted, so sure-footed, who had tried to do things on his own, finally had a collision with God. And when he did, it looked like he may have lost something, but really he gained something. It looked like your hip is your source of power. If you're a boxer, that's where it's going to come from. If you're a football player, that's where it's going to come from. You can get off balance real easy if your hip is off balance. It's, it's the center of your whole body, your whole gravity. Jacob was now handicapped in some ways, but he was empowered in others. Let me tell you, God expects Christians to have a collision with him. That what I am talking about this morning, that when we talk about Christianity, one of the things that we preach here at Christian Life Church, we don't believe in, in this pseudo-superficial, name-it kind of Christianity. We believe that Christianity is a collision with God. Christianity is not a label that we accept. It is not a community that we join. Christianity is not just a religion that we practice, but Christianity involves a collision with God. If you don't believe me, ask a man named Saul who was on the road to Damascus, who, who had his own plans, had his own ideas about what was going to happen in his life, had his own religion, had it all figured out knew what was true and what was wrong and had all his own ideas about what should happen in his future. But he had a moment, a moment where he collided with the risen Jesus. And that collision changed his life. Paul, who was eloquent, Paul, who was mighty in words, Paul, who could stand before the most intellectual councils of Judaism and, and, and compete with them and share ideas with them, changes to a man by the name of Paul, who says, I was with you in fear and trembling. I was with you, not with the excellency of speech or the enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. His confidence shifted. And I believe that when we have a collision with God, our confidence shifts. I believe that when we have a collision with God, our loyalties shift. I believe that when we have a collision with God, our lifestyle shifts. A collision with God is a defining moment in our life. It's where we exit one kingdom and we enter another kingdom. It is where we abandon some things and we embrace other things. And it should change us and it should define us. Our Christian walk should define who we are. Listen, I'm going to say it, and I don't want to make anybody mad, but if you are more defined by the American flag than you are by the Bible, there is a problem. 
if you are more defined, bear with me before you clap because you may not like what I'm about to say. If you're more defined by your race or your ethnicity than you are by your new relationship with Jesus, then there is a problem. There is nothing that defines us more when we are Christians than the Word of God or Jesus. It is the single defining characteristic of who we are. We have left an earthly kingdom and we have embraced a heavenly kingdom. There should be nothing that defines us more. Now, if you want to celebrate your culture, God bless you. You want to celebrate patriotism and the American flag, God bless you. But you better celebrate the blood before you celebrate any of that. You better celebrate the spirit before you celebrate any of that. You better celebrate the body of Christ before you celebrate any of that. There's one blood, one spirit, one God, one faith, one baptism. That makes us one. It is the defining characteristic of our life. That's not in our notes. That's just for free. (laughs) Christians, too, have had a collision with God. Those that have been born again. Listen, Christianity, and I just want to say this very clearly, it's got to be more than an acceptance of a faith system. It's got to be more than intellectual assent or approval of a particular dogma. It's got to be more than just a particular practice of certain uh, sacraments. It's got to be more than just joining a social group. It's got to be more than community activism. There's got to be a moment when you repent, and that repentance is going to shake you to your core. It will will strip you. It will break you down. It will destroy your confidence in your flesh, and it will turn you to God and say, I've got no other plea but the blood of Jesus Christ and your cross uh, and the finished work of Calvary. It's the only thing that can save me I am in trouble without you that is where Christianity starts in that point of helplessness and brokenness where Jacob is no longer fighting what's interesting the Bible says he clung he was he was not able to fight anymore he wasn't able to do this anymore he just simply was clinging some of us need to stop resisting God and start clinging to God Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice that. Paul doesn't say you, you, you've gained more light. See, a lot of religions teach enlightenment. that you, you, You're already this person that you are, and we just need to get you a little more enlightenment. We'll, we'll do it through this, this spiritual practice. We'll do it through this, this, uh, this meditation practice. We'll get you more enlightened. The Bible says you're dark. You, there's, there's no light in you to be found. If you're delving inside yourself, you're probably going to get really mixed up. Because he says you were what? Darkness. He didn't say you were in darkness. He said you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. This is one of the reasons I don't have TV. That's just, just, just saying. He says, you were darkness, but now you're light. And so because you've had a name change, Jacob, 
Because you're no longer Jacob, now you're Israel. You're going to walk different the rest of your life. Listen, when we baptize these people today, I always tell them, you're about to take on a new name. My name before was Joseph Lance Hanthorn. My name after is Joseph Lance Hanthorn Jesus. I've had Jesus applied to my life. The work of the cross now defines me. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says, and yet I live. That's the new identity that I have. I put on Jesus. I've got a new name. We used to sing that song, I've got a new name, written down in glory. I've got a new name. I've got a new identity. I was in darkness. I was darkness. Now I'm light. But here's the clarion call. I must now learn to walk in my new identity. I need a different kind of walk. I can't be a different person and walk the same way that I've always walked. But my new identity should lead me to a new way of life and a new walk, a new lifestyle, a new way of thinking, a, a new attitude, a new dimension in my life. We've come out of one kingdom of darkness and we've been brought into the kingdom of light. He says, walk as children of the light and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Can I just say this real quickly? Um, man, I, I, I want to be careful because I've got a message to preach and I'm not even, I'm not even close yet. Christians are expected because you're now light. When you say that the world is darkness and you are light, that is not a light thing. No pun intended. That is not a, that is not a, a haphazard thing. You need to watch what kind of fellowship you have with the world. Are you fellowshipping with the world through, through showtime? Are you fellowshipping with the world and, and taking in? It, 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 listen, it, as parents, you ought to be really alarmed about what's going on in Hollywood right now. Those are the people that are setting the reality for your children when you let them have access to your children and, and write all the scripts and write all the movies and set all the values. We don't watch that kind of stuff because we hear a call from God that says we need to walk different. That we're not of that world anymore. We're not of that kingdom anymore. We've been called out. My name's been changed. I've left Haran. I'm not going to smell like Haran. I'm not going to live like Haran. I'm not going to talk like Haran. I am going to take on a new identity. And I'm going to walk in who I am now in Christ. I, listen, it may look like I'm weak to the rest of the world. They may think that I'm disadvantaged because I don't know the shows that they know and I don't go the places they go. They may think I'm disadvantaged in business because I can't do the unethical practices that they do. But let me tell you, my disadvantage in this world is my advantage in that world. I've got an advantage the world knows nothing about and I'm not going to despise my limp. I'm not going to be angry that I limp in this world. I'm not going to be angry that I don't walk like they walk because I've got a new name written down in glory. My name's been changed. I've got power before the throne. I can pray and God answers. I can command. I've got power to bind and loose. 
I've got fellowship with God that the world knows nothing about. I'm not going to complain about my limp. Come on, sisters. When you get ready to put on your clothes and you feel like complaining, just remember that what looks like a limp to the rest of the world gives you access to God in a way that others may not have. I feel like pastoring. I feel like preaching a little bit on holiness. He says, you were in darkness. So you were darkness. Now you're light. Walk. Somebody say walk. It's a different kind of walk. Walk as children of the light. Because I'm not part of that kingdom anymore. Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 1.9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. This is what we're praying for you. God bless them. Give them a great big old fat 401k. That's not what he's praying. He says this is what we're praying for you, church in Colossae. We're praying and we're asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We are praying that you would have wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you would walk worthy. Somebody say walk. That you would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed, somebody say conveyed, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We're in a new kingdom. Now, how many of you know that when you are in, if you were to travel right now to Bahrain, or you were to travel to Qatar, you couldn't do everything there that you do here. I'm not making any judgments on a culture. I'm just saying they're different. Different cultures, different kingdoms. Different practices, different ways of living, different accepted guidelines, different norms, different value systems. He says that you have been conveyed from one kingdom into the kingdom of his son. Different laws, different value systems, different norms, different ways of doing things. Different expectations. But some of us, we just get our ticket to ride. And we continue to live in another kingdom. And we want to be in that kingdom, but we want to practice our own old culture. And God says, if you're going to experience the power of this kingdom, it's going to be played out in the way you walk. You're going to walk in this kingdom. This kingdom's not one that you just get to sit down in and, and it all comes to you. It's one that Abraham had to walk his whole life. 
Listen, our kingdom is walked out. It's walked out in the choices we make every day. It's walked out on it's walked out in what we put on the television. It is walked out in what we say and what we're willing to do in business dealings. It is walked out behind closed doors. It is walked out in every scenario. That's what we're called to live out this kingdom. In short, holiness is about walking in the new identity of the kingdom that God has called us and translated us into. Now, I don't, I don't have time to go into all the details. I preached a message sometime back on the beauty of holiness. I would refer you to it. Listen, holiness is not a bunch of rules and legalism. It's not a bunch of, it's not a bunch of stuff that gets superimposed on you, but it is a call of God to accept the new identity. I think one of the reasons that we struggle with walking differently is we struggle really accepting the difference in our mind and the change that God has, has done in us. So radical is conversion, so radical is Christianity that Jesus called it being born again. It's a new life. It's a new way of living. It is a new source of identity. And we are called to, to live in a posture, in a life of holiness. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. But, on the contrary, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. God, this is no longer my life. It is yours. These are no longer my entertainment choices. They are yours. This is no longer my decision, God. It is your decision. That's what we're called to do. Now, this is difficult because it has to be applied in so many areas of our life. And I'm not standing up here as somebody who has mastered this, this walk in this new identity. It is, it is something that we, we, we try. And just like children that learn how to, to walk in a literal sense, we as Christians have to learn how to walk in a spiritual sense. In our new identity and children, they stumble and, 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 and they'll, they'll walk around the table and they'll fall down and they'll bump their chin and, and, and they'll, they'll walk a little bit and then you'll up, have to uphold them with your hand. But the beautiful thing is that God understands our weakness and our frailty. God doesn't expect us to get born again and instantly master all of the walk and the culture of the kingdom. God gives grace and mercy and God beckons to us as a parent would beckon to their children. Come on, would you take that step? Come on, try, exercise those legs a little bit. Come on, you may have to hold on to the coffee table right now, but I'm going to let you hold on to the coffee table. I'll let you hold on to my finger for a little while while you're getting your legs underneath you. I thank God that he's merciful. I thank God that he's patient. 
I thank God that he, he waits and he helps us as we limp along and we learn how to walk in this new way. I don't live like I used to live. My whole life was defined under an old kingdom. And man, it messes you up, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine how, how many mistakes you would make if you, if you didn't have any chance to read any books and all of a sudden somebody just took you right now, put you on a plane and flew you to Qatar and said, get off the plane and good luck. You're going to offend people. You might get arrested occasionally, right? Because they got all kinds of clothing requirements and all kinds of crazy stuff and, 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 and food requirements and, and you can't say certain things. And, and so there, there's these, these, these cultural things. And it, you, it would take you years to fully assimilate to the culture. Listen, we need to understand that holiness... The walk of the kingdom sometimes takes years and decades. But we can't sit here and say, well, it's just never going to happen. We have to limp along sometimes. It's not always going to be easy walking. It's not a cruise. It's not a, it's, not, it's not a walk down an easy path somewhere. It may involve limping. It may involve barely getting by sometimes. But God expects us as Christians to walk different and to make the effort. The Bible says this. That the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? The Lord upholds him with his right hand. So how do we, how do we learn this new walk? How do we learn this new walk of, of holiness, this new walk of the kingdom? God gives us some things to teach us. Just as children learn because God gives them teachers, parents. They learn by reading. They learn by schools, public education, private education. There are methods. There are teachers that guide them in learning what is acceptable in education, what is acceptable in society, what is acceptable in, in manners and family and lifestyle. God, too, gives us teachers that guides us in our new identity and learning what it means to be Christians. One of the first guides that God gives us is the Word of God. As Christians, listen, if you are not reading the Bible as a Christian, you are starving your soul. This is just good old practical pastor preaching this morning. We ought to walk different. Listen, there are other Christians out there that go to church and they sing on platforms and and and. They, they leave church, and, and there's all kinds of research groups that prove that they leave church, and they live just like the rest of the world lives. I'm sorry, if you're living like everybody else in your neighborhood lives, and there's no very clear defining distinctions between you and them, you probably ought to evaluate your walk. And we're not just talking about Christians are nicer than other people. I mean... There are a lot of choices that we make every day about what we do, what we say, what we get involved in. And a Christian's life should look radically different. We shouldn't have to hunt for the, for the dissimilarities. Because it's two totally different paradigms, darkness and light. It's not, it's not darkness and less dark. I mean, we're talking about radical poles of what the Bible calls us to look like, live like, work like, talk like, have attitudes like. It's different. 
And, and, and God's word guides us into that. As Christians, we come into this walk with God and we're like, Lord, I don't know anything about the kingdom. I don't know what the kingdom laws are. I don't know, God, what the, what the rules are. I don't know what the kingdom etiquette is. I don't know what the kingdom value system is. God, can you guide me? I'm now in this kingdom, but I need somebody to teach me how to walk. God says, I got it right here. And you got to feed your soul with the bread, the daily bread. And as you begin to read that, listen, I promise you, you can't read that for very long and not find areas of your life that need to change. And if you do, then we probably ought to take you and get you evaluated because your eyes aren't so good. Listen, this is a mirror. James said, it's like looking into the perfect law of liberty. And when I open it up, it shows me what I am. Ooh, man. Lord, I can't handle much more of that. Let me just work on that one for about two years. There's direct commandments that should guide the way we live. Christians should not be ignorant of God's commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word. How do I know how to walk? Lord, how do I know how to walk? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We've got to learn to walk in the word. God, there are commandments here. Things that I should do. Things that I shouldn't do. There are direct commandments. There are also principles. And this is where so many Christians, you know, how many of you heard, well, well, if it ain't in the Bible, you better not preach it. Oh, these, 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 these mega churches love that right now. You, you start telling somebody about holiness. I, I, I know one, one, one minister at a, at a mega church in the area, uh, she, she was a youth pastor, and she told a student in the youth group, this is one of the, the main, main, main mega churches in our area. She told a student that she didn't need to get a tattoo, that it probably wasn't God honoring for this 15 or 16 year old student to get a tattoo. She was censured before the pastoral team, brought in and censured because they told her nowhere in the Bible does it specifically say in the New Testament you cannot get a tattoo. And so she was censured, and the pastoral team went to the student and said, you can get a tattoo if you want to, and the student did. Now, I got this directly from the youth pastor who was censured. That's the kind of nonsense that's going around in Christianity right now. Listen, there are principles that guide us. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, don't smoke camels. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, don't snort snort cocaine. There's a lot of things that we need to use scriptural principles and discerning spirits to make decisions about whether it is right or wrong for Christians in this hour. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, do not watch rated R movies. But there are principles that should guide a Christian when he says, do not even speak about those things that are done in darkness. It should guide our behavior. And so if I'm learning how to walk, I've got to understand there are very clear steps that are mapped out. 
but sometimes the landscape changes, right? I mean, adultery's been around for thousands of years. Murder's been around for thousands of years. The internet has not. Recreational drug use, it used to be connected to witchcraft, but as a recreational thing, it's not been around for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, we have shifting landscape. Are you with me? We're used to walking on a straight path, and then all of a sudden the landscape shifts, and we're like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. Nowhere in here does it say anything about the internet. What do I, what do, I do? What do I do with, with, what do I do talking to somebody about pornography? What do I do talking to somebody about, about you know, pumping in rated R movies and nudity in their home? What, what, what do we do about this? We have to find principles. Principles that guide our steps. It's not legalism to say, listen, we're going to do our very best. And this is not a perfect science. I'll be the first to tell you that if a church says this is a great way to apply a principle, that doesn't make it the law of the kingdom. That makes it our good faith effort as a church saying, listen, we see a principle that says we need to honor the temple of God. And our body is his temple. So because of that... Because of that, you probably shouldn't engage in gluttony and overeating. Because of that, you probably shouldn't smoke because it is destroying the temple of the Holy Ghost. Your body is the temple, and so we apply that principle to practical steps. And listen, if you're walking along, it's like a compass, guys. A compass, you know, there's a difference between a compass and GPS. Right? GPS, turn left, turn right, 2.3 miles, take a left. A compass gives you direction. Some areas of the Bible are GPS. Turn here, don't turn there, do this, don't do that. Other areas of the Bible are a compass. And we have to look at the landscape and say, okay, I got to go this way, but I got this rock in front of me and I got this creek over here. And so I'm going to have to use this compass to try to navigate this stuff. Principles. Modesty is a principle. The body being the temple of the Holy Ghost is a principle. And we as Christians need to spiritually try to find ways of applying those principles to our life. And we cannot and we should not look to an unregenerate fallen world to define the principles for us. We don't look to Hollywood to say, tell us about modesty. We don't look, we don't look. I'm not against any of these stores that I'm about to name, but we don't look at the, at the, at the big poster in H&M to find out what's modest or what's not modest. We, we don't look to Victoria's Secret, thank God, to find out what's modest or what's not modest. We don't look in People Magazine to find out what's modest and what's not modest. We don't get our fashion consultant from the world of darkness. Uh, we get our fashion consultant from the Word of God. We say, God, direct me. Let the Spirit in me lead me, convict me, guide me, because I want to be led by the Spirit. I want my footsteps ordered by the compass of your Word. Because there are some cultures that didn't wrestle with some of these things. And some cultures do. A culture doesn't define truth. God's Word does. 
God's compass does. And so we need the compass to guide us. What about, what about drinking? I'm just going to lay it all out there today. What, what, what about drinking? What about drinking? Well, pastor, you better show me a scripture in there that says I cannot have a Budweiser. Show me where it says it's a sin for me to drink that. Oh, I, I'm just going to. I'll never forget my little girl. I told you this. One time we were in a parking lot and she scooped down and she was drinking out of a puddle of water in the asphalt parking lot. And I looked over there and I said, Ava, what are you doing? Stop that. She was about three or four. And she said what most Christians say to God when God says, stop that. She said, why? Is it going to kill me? I said, no, you goofball, but it's not good for you. Besides, it doesn't do my reputation any good. You know, God may ask us to do some things that aren't heaven or hell issues. Not everything's got to be a life or death issue. Sometimes it's just got to be, God, what's best? God, what honors you? What protects my walk with God? What protects my witness? What helps me shine as a light to others? What guards the Holy Ghost in my life? When we use this word as a compass, there are clear GPS points, but there are also compass points that guide us. And listen, I know that there's, there's broad room in this church for disagreement on application. I, as a pastor, have to, have to uphold a standard in leadership, though. When we, when we, when we say, hey, th these are areas where we feel are important, and they set the highest example, they exemplify, they help us understand some of the challenges facing culture. That doesn't make it a heaven or hell issue. It just means as an organization, we have to have a certain set of values that are codified in who we are. And we cannot approach any of this with a judgmental spirit, understanding, understanding that everybody is walking. Some people have been on the path longer than other people. Some have been on the path a long time, but they may develop differently. Maybe they've been wounded along the way, and so they don't walk as fast as somebody else. And so we cannot say, well, you should be here or you should be there. We let God judge his own servants. I just feel good pastoring this morning. i gotta, I got to wrap up here. The Bible is our compass. It guides us. Pastors and teachers. They help make application. The world hates this part of it. I'm talking about three teachers that guide us down this path. The Word of God, it's a compass. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. But God also puts in the body teachers and pastors. And, and you know, the church hates this today. And I, I don't mean this church. I mean, I mean the, the, when I say the church, I mean in the broadest sense. You talk about somebody and, and tell them, hey, have you talked to your pastor about your lifestyle? So why would I talk to my pastor about that? Right? We, we, we now have mega churches where pastors don't know anybody. I watched a spoof the other day that somebody put together, um, and, and it was a, this, this, this uh, beautiful, it was set to some kind of crazy love song of this, of this woman in this church who'd been attending this church for 20 years. It was a total spoof, and it shows her leaving the church, running, breaking through a couple of security doors and going into a back secure parking lot and finally meeting her pastor after 20 years. 
And the whole, and then she's interviewed afterwards, just talking about, oh, how wonderful it is to finally, after having my pastor preach, you know, 20 minutes every Sunday, and some of you wish you had that, 20 minutes every Sunday, I finally get to meet him. I don't believe that's what God meant when he put pastors in the body. He put them as shepherds. And Jesus set the example of how a shepherd should live. He said the shepherd knows the sheep. Now, listen, I, I, I can't be BFF with everybody, but there ought, to be a, there ought to be a finger on the pulse of where people are living. There ought to be an openness to engage people and talk to people. And God puts pastors as a watchman. Another analogy is a watchman on a wall that has to sound an alarm, that looks at the landscape and says, listen, the enemy's trying to get in subtly this way, and so we got to take this principle and apply it here because there's a threat to the body, and if we don't want to make that application, then we could lose some sacred things. God gives us a pastor to guide in that sense, teachers and pastors. Hebrews 13, obey them that have the rule over you. They're watching for your souls, the Bible says. And then thirdly, and I'm coming to a close. Thirdly, and this is probably one of the most important because it, it, it so protects us. It's the Holy Ghost that dwells in us. Three, three ways that we get guided as we walk differently. The Word of God is a compass, a light to our path. Shepherds that guide us, that watch for our souls. And then the Holy Spirit that's in us, John 13, John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will what? Guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatsoever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. The Spirit of God dwells on the inside of us, not as a ticket to heaven, but as a personal guide to this life. We're called not to just be in Christ, but we're called to walk in Christ. We're called not just to be filled with the Spirit. We're called to walk in the Spirit. It's a different kind of walk. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're called to walk in such a way that God's Spirit guides us. Well, how does that work? You're going to have to cultivate that voice. The Word of God is, is pretty easy. You just got to start reading it. And, and God will speak to you. The, the pastor's pretty easy. He'll spit and sputter from the pulpit. But the one you're going to have to really cultivate is that spirit voice. Because God's spirit will not compete with all the other voices that you are letting speak into your life. He's not going to get into a shouting match against culture. And so we cultivate the leadership of the Spirit in our lives. We do so by what we've been talking about as a church, which is developing our prayer lives. You cannot be led by the Spirit if you are not having a daily prayer life. We should ask God's Spirit, God, I'm about to do this. Would you convict me if it's wrong? Lord, I'm being asked to, I was talking to somebody just recently, and, and I don't ask people to do this by any stretch of the imagination, but I respect the individual who come. Listen, you and God work out where you need to work, but, but if you want me to pray with you, I'll pray with you. I had somebody come and ask me, and I respect them so much. They said, listen, I don't want to make a 
bad decision. I've been offered a promotion. I've been offered a job here. And, and I just want God to lead me. And I, I respected that so much. We ought to want to be led by God's Spirit. That is what makes the church powerful. That is what makes us powerful as individuals, that we are seeking the leadership of God's Spirit, not just on the big things about, God, do I go to Africa or do I stay here and minister, but on the little things of our life. You can't follow the leadership of God's Spirit on the big things if you don't practice on the little things. And say, God, I want, I want you to lead me. I want to pray about these things. I want to ask you to guide me. Some of it's common sense. When you make common sense decisions, talk to God and say, God, I've got to make a common sense decision. But if my common sense is not so common, then would you let me feel a little prick from your spirit? Would you let me feel nudged by your spirit so I know this is not good? God, if, if, if I'm living in, in a way that, that is not right, would you, would, you, would you prick me? Now, some people use this as a way out of other things. Some people will, they will only focus on number three and say, well, God's spirit has not convicted me of this or this. And God's saying, I already sent you the Bible on a pastor. Right? I mean, you can't say, well, God has not convicted me about murder. God's like, I don't have to convict you. The word does. Right? So we can't say just because I'm not feeling that prick that it's okay. We need to check with all these areas. Say, God, you speak to me. I want to be led. I want my life to look different and live different. Amen? Musicians, come. Give us hope. I want to walk different. I want to live different. Listen, I think it's the most God-honoring thing we can do in this life. To set our lives apart for glory, for worship. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies, not just your hearts, but your bodies, your whole lives, a living sacrifice. And I believe God is calling a church, men and women in this generation, to say, Lord, I believe so strongly in the power of your cross and your gift of life and your sacrifice that me laying down my life is a very small thing in comparison to what you have given to me. And so I will be consecrated. I will walk different. The world may not understand the way I walk, but I am living as one who has had a collision with God. I'm living as one who has run into a Savior who has so changed the way I think. He's so affected my heart and my life. He so saved me from my sin. He so healed me from my past. He so preserved me from so many other things that could have destroyed me. He walked with me when I didn't even know it. How can I not give Him all of me and say, lead me? And please, 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 I'm not telling you that you have to line up with anything. I'm telling you, you have to pursue a walk that will be different than the rest of the world. It's not going to look like the world. The world's not going to understand it. It may look like a limp. 
it may look like a deficiency but there's going to be something powerful in that link that harkens back to a collision that changed your identity and changed who you are would you stand on your feet Lord we love you this morning we thank you for your word that is alive and active and powerful I pray God that you would help us today receive from your word to apply it to our lives Lord more than anything else help us hunger for holiness Lord you really have brought us out of one kingdom into another kingdom it's no longer about this life God it is about living in a way that honors you and points others to another life to another kingdom Lord I pray that you give us courage of our convictions Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to love you and worship you with our lives. That we would offer on an altar daily our, our bodies, our minds, our attitudes as a living sacrifice. I just feel, if you feel comfortable enough, could we all gather this morning? I'm not going to have a typical altar call. But would you be willing just to step out of your seat? I, I'm not going to hold you long, but would you just come for a moment? If you're part of our church family, if you're a guest, we welcome you. Would you just be willing to come for a moment and gather around this altar? And can we as a church just say one more time that we're committed to God's journey? I, 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 don't, I don't have to meet anybody else's standards or guidelines. I just want to follow you, Lord. I want, I want you to lead me the way you want to lead me. I, I want to accept the teachers, the word, the principles, the compass that you bring into my life. I want your spirit to have free reign to, to lead, to, to challenge, to check, to guide. Lord, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. That old song, I want to live the way he wants me to live. If we do, why don't we just sing that right now?
to 